by now you should have all uh, seen one of these. Has anyone not got one? Own up. We've got loads left. Um, we're trying to give them out. As I said last week, if you lose them, we've still got loads left. We'll make sure you get them. It's our new series, Fruitfulness on the Frontline, Making a Difference Where You Are. You can see all the talks and what dates they are on the back. And um, on the bottom one, there's a gap. Uh, even though our preaching plan has something on there, we've left a gap. So you can maybe write down on there what your front line is, who are the people that you come into contact with that are not Christians every day of the week. So uh, we're going to start that. There's this first slide up there, brilliant, good. So it's good to be here and it's good to be uh, family. And we said last week, didn't we, that it's the people, the church is the body of Christ. So all of you, all of you that are Christians, along with me, are part of the body of Christ, which is an enormous privilege. But it's not only that, it's not only our identity, there's a purpose in that as well, uh, to encourage one another. A lot of why we come together on a Sunday is because often when you're out in the world, you might be on your own. There might not be another Christian in your workplace or family or wherever it is. So we come together as part of God's family to encourage, uh, to learn. But we don't just want to learn, we want to be transformed, we want to be changed, to worship. And there's one other thing uh, that happens uh, once that's all done. Do you know what it is? It's to be sent. Uh, we come here to all, for all those things, to be the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to learn, to be transformed, to worship, but to be sent. The statistics tell me that 6% of people regularly go to church in this country. And because it's only 6%, you might feel, if you're part of that 6%, you feel a bit alone and the, the burden is too great. You might feel that you're part of a minority. As I've been saying recently, you should be encouraged. The church uh, right now across the world is growing its fastest rate since the resurrection. So God is moving and we need him to move in power still where we are as well. So you might feel part of a minority. You might think the task is too great. Uh, you might think, how, how on earth can we witness to our town? How can we uh, even witness to a nation? How, maybe you feel weak rather than strong, powerless rather than full of God's power, weak in faith rather than faith-filled. And this morning, what I wanted to say to you, and I've been working on this all week, I've put a lot of effort in, and I was asking, well, God, what's, what, what are you saying? What do you say? We've got the words, we've got the Bible. I know you speak to us. And, and I believe what God is saying is God is telling you this morning, he can and he will use you. And I think some of you might be thinking, well, surely God can't use me. Surely my circumstances are holding me back. Surely my personality holds me back. Surely I'm in the wrong place. I can't wait till he calls me to real uh, ministry. But God, I believe, is saying he can and will use you. And what he's asking you to do is just open your eyes and your heart to the opportunities that he gives you. And he'll give you them every single day of your life. And you can make a difference where you are. You can have what this series is called, that fruitfulness on the front line. But what really does that mean? The front line has been defined, this is all from, uh, or not all of it, actually we put our own spin on it, but for much of this material is the LICC, London uh, Institute for Contemporary Christianity. But, But they define their front line as the environment you find yourself in where there are non-Christians and you're actively looking 
uh, for opportunities to minister into those situations. So wherever you are, um, not just church on a Sunday, when you're not mainly surrounded by people who agree with you, but what about when you're out there in the world? What about when the real stuff happens? How can you make a difference? And today, this morning, the introduction is making a difference or an impact where you are. So you might be waiting for the next big thing or the next big course or the next big seminar or or get together. But it's actually about when you walk out this door, all the environments that God puts you in. Um, We can have the second slide up now, which is only the last slide. I only did two. Um, um, Second one, is that coming, Dave? It's coming. I know it's coming. There it is. Can you see all that? It's a bit tight, isn't it? Um, so today, the intro, making a difference and impact where you are. And we're starting this new series, which is eight talks. You've got the card, and if you haven't, uh, pick it up. Sign it at the end. And, and the prayer is that you'll be encouraged, and I believe you will, and enthused, that you'll be very enthusiastic about making an impact in all sorts of circumstances. It's true to say, because it wouldn't be biblical to say that you're all evangelists, There is a gift of evangelism. So we're not suggesting for a second that everyone is an evangelist. But everybody is a witness. Everybody has a story. Everybody, all of you sitting there this morning, can make a massive difference in the situations you find yourself in. Uh, Paul the Apostle, I'm going to read this, uh, when he speaks about this, what we've called the ministry of reconciliation, bringing others back to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, um, 11 to 20, he says this. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We've tried to persuade people what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, it is for the sake of God. For we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation The old has gone, the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And that he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's passionate, isn't he there, Paul, about reaching the lost. This ministry of reconciliation, bringing people back to God, giving them opportunities to think about uh, God. He talks about this ministry of reconciliation. He's trying to persuade And his motive, verse 14, which must be ours, for Christ's love compels us. He doesn't think he's got a choice. He's got to find ways uh, to minister to people, to speak about the message that was given to him and given to us. 
He was sold out for the cause. He was absolutely committed. Verse 15, he says, And he died for all, that those who, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. You see, that's what we commit to when we become Christians. If the old has gone, the new has come. If I'm baptised with him into his death, but I'm raised with him in life, it's, 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 it's done, isn't it? I'm, I'm now living for him. I'm not living for myself. And he echoes that, doesn't he, in Philippians 1.21, when he, when he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's everything is about him. And therefore, the responsibility found in verse 20 of that passage, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And this morning, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are an ambassador. Everything you do in the world makes an impact. It might be negative, but hopefully it's positive. You all have a front line. You all meet people that are non-Christians. And I think the secret is, is to whenever you find yourself in negative situations, see the possibilities of what God can do. Because the world isn't perfect. We're the, the fall happened, things went wrong, it will be perfect one day. But in the meantime, we're called to bring his kingdom here on earth. It's great to be here, but after this, you're scattered. You'll go to your own situations. You might feel overwhelmed. But actually, I see the positive. I think, well, you're all here, which I love seeing you every Sunday. But look where you are throughout the week. Your workplaces, your homes, your families. I, I can't get to them all, but you're there. And you can make a difference. You, have a, you, have, you can make a difference and you can go into those situations. But when you're in those situations, you have a choice. You can see them maybe as threatening, scary, overwhelming odds, challenges that might seem insurpassable. But equally, life could be great. There's no challenges. So you're happy just trundling along or you can see both as great God-given opportunities, whatever circumstance you find yourself in. I know people, when I've seen to see them in hospital, um, they don't particularly want to be in hospital, but they've used the time in hospital to minister to those around them, and they get known as the Christian. And it always, it re- I mean, I, I would moan, I'd be a moan, I'd be in their bed going, yeah, you know, I'm going to milk this for as long as I can, see if I can get the most out of it. I won't tell them I'm feeling better, I'll just sort of go for as far as I can. I wouldn't really lie. Um, but there are people I go and visit, and it's incredible. They just see it as a ministry opportunity, and I'm really humbled by it. You might be a calming influence in a volatile situation. You might be the peacemaker where there's discord. Um, I had an example where I felt God um, teach me something. It's not a, it's the, I don't come out well in this story, so I'm being quite... Uh, you know, forgive me, um, and you will, because um, if not... Well, there's threats in the Bible. You've got to forgive me. Um, uh, but no, we had uh, new people move in across the road from us a month or so ago. And, um, and you know, what's the, what's the well, big sin? If you go on the Bill Ricky discussion page on Facebook, you do not want to be one of those people who put their rubbish out the night before. Okay, because we all know what happens in the morning. We've got a fox and rat problem and uh, things get messy. So, of course... I've seen, I, I was aware there was a removal van and I said to Andrea, they've put their rubbish out the night before. They don't know that there's a, we, there's a special way we do this. They don't know. It's going to be a real mess in the morning. And in the morning I got up, I said, oh, yeah, it's happened. The rubbish is all over the place. 
Oh, I wonder if they know it's them. I wonder if they're going to come and pick it up. That's going to be messy all week. All week that's going to be messy. And, um, and I got in my car, you know, drove over the mess, put my bags out at the appropriate time <laughs> with the green wheelie bin and everything else. I was, I was doing things properly. Drove over the mess, thought, I hope they see that and learn their lesson, and then drove to church to tell everybody else how we should serve others. You see, I missed an opportunity. And, and when I got to I thought, you know, that's, that's not good, is it? And I thought, if I go back tonight, if they haven't cleared it up, I'll just clear it up. And maybe I'll knock on their door and say, look, I know you didn't mean it, but it really is bad here, don't do it. But as, when I got back, somebody else had cleared it up, and they never did it again. But what God taught me about that was, was there was an opportunity to serve there, to just to be a bit different. And actually, that was an opportunity, and I passed it by. And, and it's easy to preach, it's not, but you know what I mean, it's easier to preach than actually do. And we've got, if that was an opportunity, I missed it. That was my front line, I had a chance to speak to someone and just do something good. So you can make an impact, but keep your eyes and your heart open, because you can miss them, but God will give them to you every day. A positive attitude is really good, you can make a difference. Linda Campbell is uh, Spurgeon's placement supervisor. I've seen a lot of her now in the last four years because we had Tom there for three years. Now Gary's there. And she visits. And when she visits, we get all excited about telling her everything that's going on in the church and people's lives being changed and all various stories. And we get really excited about it and what we believe that God's going to do. And it's kind of in in the office, quite a positive can do, God can do anything attitude. She said, she said to us, I love coming here. I love coming on this placement. I always feel so positive afterwards. If I lived nearer, I'd want to come uh, to this church. And for us, it was kind of a normal thing. We just tend to look for the good. And there are, there are problems, of course there are, but you can look for the positives, and it made an impact on her. She went away, she said, I go to so many churches, but, oh, this is wrong, and that's wrong, and everything else, but actually looking for the opportunities. And the fact is, your attitude can make an impact on others, the way you deal with people, your character can make an impact on others, this is all the stuff we're going to be looking at. Your serving can make an impact on others, your work can make an impact on others, your behaviour can impact others, You can definitely impact other people. And God, this morning, I feel, wants to tell you, he will use you to make that impact. So um, hopefully you're excited. Do you feel excited? Yeah, you sound it. And I'm, 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 I'm really excited. I think this could transform us as a church and help us reimagine what church is. Church is not only here on a Sunday, it's scattered absolutely making a difference, whatever circumstance or place you're in. But the first thing, the really important thing I've put up there, the really, really important thing, um, is to keep your relationship close with Jesus. When you look for these opportunities, you've got to have your relationship with Jesus on a level playing field. And John 15 um, really says it. I'm going to read the first eight verses. You have to let Jesus make an impact on you, and then you can make an impact on others. John 15, 1 to 8. Words of Jesus, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is saying you must stay connected to him. This is the first lesson uh, of ministry on the front line. If we're doing it on our own strength, um, we're going to falter and foul. The relationship with Jesus is imperative. We're in this spiritual battle to win the lost. And there's one who loves it when you're not close to God. He loves it, you to think you can do it in your own strength. He loves to isolate you. But God has better ideas for you. He wants you to remain close to him. When Jesus says, I'm the true vine, he knew exactly what he was saying. The vine uh, back in those days was the symbol for Israel. So you had Israel now getting it wrong and getting it right and getting it wrong and getting it right. He's saying, look, okay, they're the vine. I'm the true vine. You must come to me. A golden vine in those tables trailed over the temple porch. The coinage in Israel during the revolt against Rome in AD 68 and 70 also bore a vine symbol. So Jesus is saying, well, look, I'm the true vine. You must stay connected to me. We must remain close to him because verse 4, you can't bear fruit by yourselves. But in verse 5 he says, if you remain close, you can bear much fruit. Not a little bit, not a small amount of impact, much fruit. You can, you can go and change the culture around you. You'll show yourself, verse 8, to be my disciple, he says. And our identity is the branches, isn't it? He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. What happens when a, a branch falls off a tree? It dies. Well, I'm Roger. It dies, doesn't it? If it's not connected, it can't get life. It can't get its source. Um, I'm, I like my motorbike. I go out. It was a lovely day yesterday. I had a little uh, saunter out. And, um, but around October, November, and then this time of year, the most dangerous uh, for motorbikes, because October, November, all the leaves fall off the tree, and it gets very slippery. Uh, so you have to be very careful. And what happens now, it's been really windy, isn't it? The weather's been really windy. Did you notice that last week? You fall on the road now, don't they? Um, and so what happens is all the small branches or the twigs, they fall on the road now, don't they? What happens to them? Come on, Roger's already given the answer. You've got to sort of get into this a little bit, right? They die because they're not connected. They, they wither and they die. They're not connected to the tree, and we don't want to not be connected to Jesus. We have to be connected to him to go out and minister. We don't want to be like dead. The branch needs to be connected to the vine. The sap comes from the vine. If it's disconnected, there's no nourishment. Must stay close to Jesus. Must protect our relationship with God. And then he promises, as we stay close to him, in verses 4, 5, 7, 9, and 10, when he says, remain in me, He says in verse 4, and if you do that, I'll remain in you. It's so key. 
And verse 5, if a man, man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Not a little bit of fruit, not the wrong kind, of, much fruit, good fruit, because it's for the Father's glory. Verse 16, if we carried on in that passage, he says, fruit that will last, fruit like the character, fruit of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, fruit in new birth, as you witness to other people, you see their lives change and we'll see new believers. Uh, fruit in our lives of love for the lost and for each other. In verse 12 of that passage, Jesus tells us to love each other as he has loved us. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, what kind of fruit are you producing? And if you're not producing much, God is speaking to you this morning, saying you can produce so much. We need the Holy Spirit to change us from within, to equip us for this witnessing, for mission, God's mission, the Missio Dei. And so you need to know your position in life. You're an ambassador for Christ. That is a real privilege and really empowering. He has chosen you. We must stay connected. We must stay close to Jesus. He's the giver of life. Without him, we'll falter on and get all of our programs and get all the latest fads, but we won't really achieve much. But with him, we can do so much more. And here's a good verse for you, and you can write this down uh, in anything you've got. Verse 16, he went on to say, You did not choose me, I chose you. So he's chosen you, and we've got our identity in him. But then look at the mission that he gave us. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. You're intended to do this. You're intended to bear fruit. Bruce Milne said, to submit to Christ is no hardship, rather it's the road to liberation. Once you put him first, all the arguments fall away. People can argue me as much as they want. I say, well, this is what it says, and this is what I must do. So I need to take prayer seriously, the Bible seriously, church seriously, and the mission seriously. And then you're ready to bear fruit that will last. Fruitfulness on your front line. Don't think you can't. Don't let the enemy take that away from you, that that he's going to tell you you can't make a difference. Don't think God can't use you. Whatever the situation you find yourselves in, whatever family you find yourself in, whatever work place you find yourself in, even if there's injustice being given against you, you can still make a difference. We're going to, what's the next bit? Let's tell a story. God wants you. This is a brilliant story. It's part of history. Um, And let's see what we can learn from it. This is 2 Kings 5, 1 to 16. Story of Naaman. He's a commander. He's like an invader. Okay? He's the enemy. Right, so verse 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So he's got this problem. He's got all this stuff, he's winning the battles, but now he's got leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram have gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aaron replied. I will send the letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. 
The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fafa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of the young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before them and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. We don't even know her name. Her name's never given. We don't know her name. We don't know her age. But she was young. She was living in a war zone. She was a believer in God. Her story shows you that pretty much anyone can see their situation differently. Business people, brokers, police, teachers, housebound carers, students, retired people. It was just an ordinary day except there's an enemy raiding party comes from the east. This girl, with no name, is captured. That's what we're told in this passage. And she ends up a slave. She's working for the enemy commander's, Naaman's, pagan wife. She's isolated from all the people who believe what she does. She's on her own. She's been taken from her family and friends, and she's got nothing but a life of slavery to look forward to. She's just a little girl in the wrong job, in the wrong place, with the wrong people, with the wrong present and the wrong future. She must have had questions. Where was God in all of this? She must have wanted to be somewhere else. She must have felt she'd been treated so badly that she didn't want good things for the people she's now with. Her mistress's husband, Naaman, this enemy commander that that orchestrated the move to steal her from her homeland and her family and her own people of faith. He's the one who's caused all this mess. He has leprosy. He's raided her people. He took her away. He's put her in a life of slavery. What's her response going to be? Could it be 
Well, it's good, and he should see it as a punishment from God for his idolatry. Is it to love to see him have a long and painful death? Serves him right. You shouldn't have messed with God's children. But it wasn't. Her response in 2 Kings 5.3 says, She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. She's not looking to punish. She finds herself in a situation which is none of her own doing. The odds are against her. She doesn't look to punish but to bless. She doesn't want Naaman dead. She wants him healed. She loves her enemy. Long before Jesus, hundreds of years later, amazes his followers with the direction to do that found in Matthew 5, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. She's living that out right now. Despite the fact she's been taken in captivity, despite the fact that her circumstances weren't good, she believes her God, whatever her circumstances, is all-powerful and she's going to trust him. And she was right to do so. She believes that her God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. She believes that her God can touch a Gentile that his grace extends beyond the chosen nation. She believed in the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 22, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. She's looking for the blessing for her enemy in the situation she finds herself in. And so she speaks her one sentence, the only sentence she gets, this girl with no name, if only my master would see the prophet, he'll cure him. She speaks her one sentence and the consequences of that small act, that small voice, are extraordinary. Naaman is healed of his leprosy. To God be the glory. Naaman becomes a believer in the one true God. To God be the glory. Naaman's whole household, the whole army which he commands, the king of Aram who he serves, the whole nation of Aram learned that the God of Israel can do what the pagan gods couldn't. To God be the glory. How did it all come about? How did it happen? Through one simple, love-impelled, faith-soaked sentence uttered by a child with no name. Wasn't much, really, was it? Just a sentence. But in God's hand, in God's hands, how much is just a little thing? How big is the mustard seed? How valuable the widow's offering? How significant a cup of water How has this come about? How has it happened? This girl wasn't powerful in the eyes of the world. She wasn't highly educated. She was a slave. She was a child with no legal rights, an enemy in a foreign land. And she was a girl in a patriarchal society. She was a nobody. We don't know her name. And around 850 years later, the Apostle Paul would write, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were by of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Wasn't she in the wrong job, in the wrong country, with the wrong people? Surely she wanted to be somewhere else. Don't we sometimes feel the same? I'm waiting for the moment when God decides he'll start to use me. I think it's a couple of years away. Or when I get the next job, or the perfect partner, or perfect health. That's when he's going to start using me. And she probably had every right to have that kind of attitude. But what if, for now at least, you're right where God wants you? And that he's saying to you, he'll use you. What if for now at least the people you're with day by day, on your front line, down your street, in your fitness class, in your workplace, are the ones that God is saying to you now, why don't you love and serve them and show them a different way? What if this bit of God's earth that you're in is the bit that God wants you to help in making a difference and bring life? Who knows just how much God will work through you in your daily life, making a difference where you are. Do you really need the high position? That young girl didn't. Do you need the university degree? The young girl didn't. Do you need all these other reasons why not to make an impact now? She didn't. She chose to make an impact where she was. And this series is intended to encourage you with stories like that to be more alert to the ways that God has been working and will work in your life. He will work with you right where you are. Whatever your front line is, you can make a difference. You hear all about the different ways local church reaches out, and that's all good. But what about the hours outside of church when you're all scattered? What if you felt equipped to recognise and take the opportunities to be fruitful to God throughout the whole week? What about the realisation that you can walk with him moment by moment? He's there all the time in all you do. What might you see God do if you open your eyes, like when someone puts the rubbish out at the wrong time? What about if you look for the opportunities to make that difference? What a difference if every Christian in this country took that attitude it would make to our nation. It would make a difference in the clubs, the gyms, the offices, the factories, the pubs, the clubs, the high street, the community. So this series is about you seeing your context, your surroundings with fresh eyes and open hearts and explore ways where you can be more fruitful for God right where you are, not waiting for the next big thing. So may God work through you in a great way on your front line to support other Christians on theirs so that those around who don't believe or know Jesus might be blessed, healed, strengthened, saved transformed and released into service. So they might say, just like Naaman did, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Let's commit to pray for that in the world and in you. The invitation is to follow Jesus. Not just that invitation to follow Jesus isn't just one to spend eternity in his presence. It's also one to cooperate with him in the world we live in now. To make it become as much as we can like he intends it to be for when he returns. The call is not to part-time discipleship, but to whole life discipleship, confident that God is with you in everything, that you can talk to him about everything, seek his wisdom 
resources, rely on him in everything. And so the list of talks, and don't worry, these are not headings that I'm going to explain, uh, but just to let you know what's coming. Uh, we're talking, I've already spoken about character, but we've got work, the practical ways, the results of the application of your faith, reliable, honest, timekeeping, listening, hard-working, grace and love, making personal sacrifices to help and support others. You can shape culture as you make an impact, modelling behaviour that others will adopt. Speaking truth and justice when challenged, explain why you do what you do and why you are who you are. Sharing the truth of God, ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, freedom in obedience. So I'm uh, coming in to uh, finish, uh, but I've got three very short examples for you. Chloe is a made-up. He's not anyone real, okay? Um, Chloe is a student. She's been told by... By, sorry, she's been told that God will one day use her once she leaves university. She's not really thinking about how God could use her now. Ed works in a factory. He's bored and has been praying for a new job for a few years now. He'd love to do more for God. He thinks his mission is somewhere else. He's not really thinking about how God could use him where he is. Chris had turned 16, been involved in a local church, but she's had arthritis for a long time. It's painful, limiting and confidence sapping. She has hydrotherapy sessions at the local swimming pool. She doesn't think how God might use her there and she just feels discarded. One day, Chloe wakes up and realises that God could in fact use her while she was still at university in all sorts of ways that she didn't have to wait. In conversations, in seminars, in writing essays, in sharing a flat. She found a way of helping a friend who struggled to get to lectures to get there. She really uh, needed to get there and she helped her and thought, well, this is the one I'm going to serve God for that person. One day, Ed woke up and he realised that if God wasn't giving him a new job, he must have something he wanted him to do right where he was. He started to get in a little earlier for his shift. He looked for ways to bless people. He looked for ways to befriend them and pray for them. Over time, he saw God working. And then one day, Chris realised she had a front line, a place of ministry and mission, and it was with the people she met in the hydrotherapy pool, the people she'd got to know over the years, people she had something in common with and could relate to, people that God had given her to reach. Her illness no longer made her a victim, but it gave her a ministry. Chloe, Ed and Chris, all people wanting to serve God, all feeling they didn't have a place to do it, They didn't have their front line, but once they opened their hearts and eyes to what God was doing in their life, God used them exactly right where they were. So I'm going to pray for a second. The musicians are going to uh, come up. And I just want to give us a time to respond. And what I want you to go away and think about um, is just start thinking about your front line, all those situations you find yourself in, all those situations where you can make a difference. Um, I bet you, if I go on the Billericay discussion page this week and anyone put their rubbish out early, it would be, it's a miracle. You know, it, it all got cleaned up as if someone had done it for us because now you've got the example. And certainly if I see it, I'll try and do the same. But there's always something, a neighbour, a friend, could be someone in tears down the high street and you put an arm around them and just begin to, to minister to them. But identify your front line, how you make an impact. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, uh, 13, 16, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You're the salt. You're the light. If you put loads of salt on your Sunday dinner in a few hours, it spoils it. You only need a tiny bit. And it makes all the difference. And so as you go out into the earth, these grains of salt, you are the salt of the earth. You can really make a difference. Remember what Jesus said. He said, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And he will use you if you keep your heart and eyes open. So I'm going to pray for us now and we'll just listen for a while and then at some point Roger will get you standing up and we'll sing uh, as a response to this. So Father, I do thank you for your word and I do thank you that Christianity is exciting. It's not boring. It's, It's something, a life to be lived, fully committed to you, to be sold out for you. And as we think about all those people we come into contact with on a daily basis, that are not Christians. I pray, Holy Spirit, you come down, minister to us, and think how we can help. I pray that we give our lives afresh to you, full discipleship. I pray, Lord, that we surrender to your will. You deserve our 100% of our life, Lord, and what you've done for us. You died for us to set us free. I pray, Lord, that all of us would ask what we could do in our lives to serve you. That as the body of Christ is scattered from this place, that it will make a fantastic difference to the community around it. So just in this quietness now, Lord, for the next minute or so, I pray, Holy Spirit, come, minister to your people, convict them of your truth, and equip them that they know they leave this place in power, and you will use them, and they will make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.